0: There was a very wealthy man whose brother passed away, but the small town in which they lived wasn't too broken up about it because both of these brothers were rather ruthless, perverse, um, rude scoundrels to tell the truth. But an interesting offer was made to a local pastor when he was asked to officiate the funeral service. The surviving brother told the pastor that he would give all the money needed to build his church a new sanctuary if the pastor would agree in the eulogy for his brother to refer to him as a saint. Well, the pastor was not one to compromise, but he really did want that new sanctuary, so. He agreed to go ahead and do it. And uh, the service went smoothly. The minister maintained his integrity. He told the truth. He pointed out the sinful lifestyle of the deceased. And the pastor's wife was impressed that he hadn't compromised, but wondered how in the world he could possibly call this man a saint after all he was saying about him. But the honest pastor took care of it. When he closed by saying, there is no question, this man was a friend of Satan. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) In order to get along in this world, you have to learn how to compromise. To compromise wisely, that is. You have to give a little to get a little. To compromise is to arrive at a settlement by making concessions. And we all have to do it at some time or another, to one extent or another. But on some, some things we can't compromise. We have to refuse. We have to hold to our positions. True wisdom is knowing when you can compromise And when you can't, when you have to stick to your guns. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which happens to be the passage that was studied in our adult Sunday school classes this morning, there is a case in point that I want us to examine today. When it comes to the essentials of the gospel, the Apostle Paul wouldn't give an inch. He would not compromise. Paul knew that Jesus himself had revealed the gospel to him, and because of that, he didn't need anyone's endorsement, he didn't need anyone's permission, he didn't need anyone's approval to preach what Christ had taught him to preach. But he also knew that he would have fewer problems on his mission field taking the gospel to the Gentiles if he had the approval and the endorsement of the Jerusalem church for what he was preaching. So he did not hesitate to pursue it and to seek it. And we can learn a lot from Paul as we examine his words in Galatians chapter 2. Now before we read the passage, let me remind you that in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia that he had been instrumental in founding and teaching. And he was concerned about them because some false brethren had come in behind him and were beginning to shake the faith of his converts. Now they were known as Judaizers, those who were trying to make those Gentile converts into Jews in order to be saved, insisting that they be circumcised, that they adhere to certain requirements of the Jewish legal code. And Paul was very concerned about that. And so he wanted to defend his message. He did so in the first part of uh, the book in chapter 1. He talked about how he had received a revelation from Christ that uh, brought him to faith, that commissioned him to go and to preach. He went off by himself to, to study on that for a good while. Three years later he went down to Jerusalem to spend a couple of weeks getting to know Peter. He also ran into James, but they were the only ones. Then he went away for an extended period of time. And we pick up in chapter 2 with his return to Jerusalem a good bit later. So if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God for us this morning in Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Paul says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important... Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles." James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do." Thank you. Please be seated. Now what we see in this text of Scripture as we step back and look at it in its context of all that was going on, not just in the churches of Galatia, but in the early church, we recognize that Paul was willing to compromise on certain things that didn't ultimately matter. He talks a little about that in the first verses of chapter 2 and then in some of the latter verses that we read. We've already noted that Paul didn't need the approval of the Jerusalem church or the other apostles to carry on his mission to the Gentiles. Jesus had already appeared to Paul, and Jesus himself had sent him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul knew that he didn't need the endorsement of the Jerusalem church. So why then did he go there? In verse 2... He says, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but privately I did it to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Now he didn't say that because he thought he might have been mistaken or preaching an erroneous gospel. Not in the least. What he was concerned about was that he was out there proclaiming what Christ himself had revealed to Paul and that some from the Jerusalem church were coming behind him uh, sowing seeds of doubt and, and trying to infiltrate his churches and convince his converts that they had to be circumcised. They had to become Jews in order to become Christians. And he wanted to make sure that wasn't what the Jerusalem church was actually doing or endorsing. Paul did want to know if they were going to undermine his message by preaching the necessity of circumcision to be saved because all of this that we're talking about took place before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 where the church came together and decided once and for all that circumcision was not necessary for salvation and the Gentiles were only asked to... to take a few small steps in order to facilitate fellowship with the Jewish Christians that they interacted with. All of this, however, was before that was settled. Paul would not have sought the endorsement of the Jerusalem church if he thought he would have to compromise his gospel message in order to get it. He would not have done it. But Paul also knew that the endorsement of the Jerusalem church would make his mission work go more smoothly. Those Judaizers would have more difficulty disrupting Paul's churches because Paul could remind his churches that his message, that is his gospel, had the endorsement of the Jerusalem apostles. This has been approved by the mother church. Those who are trying to teach you otherwise are wrong. Paul knew that could be the case. He wanted to make the path as smooth as possible. He wanted to have a hearing as wide as possible. Paul did not want to throw up barriers between him and those he was trying to reach. Paul wanted to open doors. And the endorsement of the Jerusalem church would help accomplish that. Dr. John Dowdy was the pastor who baptized me as a boy and officiated at our wedding and was my first mentor in ministry when God called me to preach when I was in college. And one of the things he told me was to get as much education as I could get, to go as far in the seminary as I could, all the way through a doctorate if possible, because he said it would open doors that would otherwise be closed to me. Well, When he said that, I thought, there's no way on earth I'm going to be in school that long. But uh, God chuckled and uh, kept me in school all the way through. and, And in hindsight, I recognized the wisdom in that because it did open doors for me that otherwise might have been closed. Paul was doing the same thing by seeking the endorsement of the Jerusalem church. He knew that if he was accredited by those pillars of the church, those first apostles, that his gospel could be spread more effectively. He could focus more energy on proclaiming the gospel than on defending the gospel. So Paul didn't hesitate to seek their endorsement. And he did it for two reasons. One, he knew that those pillar apostles, in verse 9, if they were who they ought to be, then they would agree with him. He would not have to compromise his message to get their approval. They had been with Jesus, just as Paul had seen Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Paul was confident that they would endorse what he was preaching because they both knew and followed the same Lord. But the second reason was he knew that getting their endorsement, which was something he didn't need but could benefit from, was something on which he could compromise. He was willing to do it for the sake of the gospel. He didn't need it, but if it were going to help spread the gospel, he would get it. Too many people in contemporary church life think the word compromise is a dirty word. But Paul didn't, especially when it came to the cause of Christ. He was a man of strong convictions, but he was willing to set aside his pride, his ego, his entitlements for the sake of the gospel. And we need to ask ourselves if we are willing to do what Paul did to set aside our own pride, our own ego, the entitlements we think that we deserve and ought to have, if they're things that don't ultimately matter, if the gospel will be served by doing so. Years ago, I knew of a young man who wanted to preach, wanted to be in ministry, but he was dogmatically opposed to wearing a necktie. Just wouldn't do it. He said, if those folks can't accept me as I am, well that's their problem, not mine. And this was a generation ago, mind you. And he just wouldn't do it. It was something on which he would not compromise. Foolishly, he unnecessarily restricted his opportunities to preach and teach all because of a stubborn unwillingness to compromise on something of absolutely zero importance. And he's not in ministry today, in case you were wondering. Are you too hard-nosed about things that don't have any eternal significance? The Apostle Paul was willing to compromise whenever he felt it necessary for the sake of the gospel something on which he would not compromise. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings." Paul was willing to compromise on things that don't matter for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is renowned to this day. But Paul refused to compromise on the essentials of the gospel. We need to recognize that as well. Verses 4 and 5 speak to that in verse Four, he talks about freedom and bondage. He says, false brothers infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom. He's talking about his freedom in Christ in order to enslave us, that is, enslaved to the law, the law's rules, the law's regulations, the things that had kept God's people in bondage for generations and generations. Paul wasn't willing to, the compromise on his freedom. The law had reigned from Moses until Jesus and it hadn't saved a soul. Sin takes advantage of the law to bring about condemnation and death. Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. Paul says exactly that in Romans chapter 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. We who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. And here these Galatians were wanting to turn around and go back into bondage. The bondage that Christ came to free us from. And so, in response to these false brethren who were teaching such things. Verse 5, Paul basically says, we didn't give an inch. We didn't tolerate that. We didn't give in for a moment, he says. We would not compromise on the necessity of the gospel, the essentials of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel. He would not give in on some things we cannot compromise, can we? I read that it takes 20 minutes to pack an MC-1-1 military parachute. There are 30 folds required to do it right, and it has to be done right every single time. These days, Army parachute riggers wear special red hats so they can be identified in the case of an urgent need. If there's a problem with a parachute on a jump, they can be brought to assist right away. And occasionally these parachute riggers have to jump themselves with randomly selected parachutes that they themselves have packed. It's motivation to get it right. At one time the Texas Army National Guard had a parachute riggers creed. It said, I will be sure always. It went on to say, "...I will never let the idea that a piece of work is good enough make me a potential murderer through a careless mistake or oversight, for I know there can be no compromise with perfection." Because it's a matter of life and death, isn't it? It's that important, it's it's something on which compromise cannot be undertaken. And the Apostle Paul felt just as strongly about the gospel. He firmly refused to compromise on something that cannot be compromised because it's a matter of life and death. Eternal life and eternal death. It cannot be compromised. So the truth of the gospel might be preserved for the Galatians and for us. Those essential elements have not changed for 2,000 years. And 2,000 years from now they will not have changed. What are those essential elements? That Christ died for sin in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that on the third day He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. And that anyone who believes and trusts in Him... Will be saved by grace through faith, not by merit or works of law. That is the gospel Paul preached, and the gospel we still believe, and the gospel we preach. How does all this translate into our lives today, all these years later? Well, for one thing, we ought to be more firmly committed to those things on which we should not compromise, like the necessity of repentance and faith for salvation, like the priority of Jesus as the only hope for the salvation of the world, on the authority of the Word of God that teaches and reveals to us the will of God, and things such as that, on those things we cannot compromise. And in our mission to reach people for Christ, we have to take caution never to compromise the gospel or the standards in which the gospel rests in order to accommodate those who aren't really interested in repentance. Years ago, Billy Graham said, We're dangerously near to saying to the prodigal son, It's not necessary to return to your father and your home we can make you comfortable in the pig pen. We have to take caution not to do that. We have to maintain the the rigors of the essentials of the gospel itself, committed to them. But we also must, must learn to be flexible in relation to things that in the long run are not ultimately important. And we forget that. Things like the methods we use to do the work of God. Things like who gets the credit for it when it happens. Things like stylistic differences in worship. Non-essential interpretational distinctions. On and on the list goes. The list of things that that are not important is endless. There are far more of those things than there are the essentials of faith in the gospel on which we cannot compromise. We need to learn that. It can be learned. I said earlier there is wisdom in knowing the difference in what you can compromise on and what you can't. It can be learned. Dr. Jack McGorman, the late emeritus professor of New Testament at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary used to say something that I I wrote down and keep He said, the purpose of seminary is to inform students where they can afford to be dogmatic. The uninformed are indiscriminately dogmatic on things like tithes and titles and other minutia. We can learn The difference between what is essential, what we cannot compromise, and what we can in order to facilitate the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And too often we throw up our own roadblocks in that path by these things that we think are so significant we can't compromise on them. The Apostle Paul was wise enough to know the difference. Let's learn from him. Let's follow his example. And when we learn to tell the difference between what can and cannot be compromised, then we will be wise indeed. And the gospel witness will flourish. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom that we find in your Word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his example of how to stand firm and how to compromise for the sake of the Gospel. I pray, Lord, we might learn to do what he did, that we might become like all in order that by all means we might possibly reach some god may your holy spirit empower us in that give us the wisdom we need help us learn what you have to teach us and help us put it into practice in our lives that your witness may be strong in this community through us and i pray it in jesus name amen